Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football-specific podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm refreshed off of my recent vacation to Cabo, Mexico. Yes, and we all hate you for it because you got away for, what, a week? I was away for about a week, yeah, but it's not as great as it seems. I mean, I didn't have a good beer for a week. So I came back or bourbon or a good bourbon. Yeah. I mean, I was in some ways suffering down there, which is a lot like taking uh, breast milk away from my six month old. Okay, good. Good analogy. I guess analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I dead serious when I knew you and some of the other people that went down to Cabo. um, I had to look it up on the map. I was not 100 percent sure where it was. Oh, it's an amazing location and south of. California, right? Or you, you keep continuing. Well, yeah. Down you, that if way. you continue down the California coast into Mexico, it's the peninsula that extends down, and Cabo is at the furthest southern tip of that peninsula. And the town sits in this little cove. It's really amazing, breathtaking nice. views. No, I'm jealous. I'm happy for it. Jealous for me, um, because the entire time you were gone, we were just getting absolutely pummeled by snow and more snow and more snow. Um, I have never seen anything like it in my. All my years in Minnesota, I'll say so, that much. Well, so record snowfall in in the month of February. Yeah, so month. I could that actually speaks to factual situations of this. Correct, okay. forty inches. So I got to come home to a driveway filled with snow and plow and shovel the first day I was back. Yep, it was awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm very much tired of it. Mm. I, I I don't know if there's words to express how much I am very happy. Like I'm already picturing. Those that first spring day oh, when the snow is almost all melted and it's like amazingly 50 degrees outside and you're sitting outside. I, I cannot wait for that day. Thankfully, everybody in Minnesota is sick of snow right now, because if anybody said, oh, I love snow, I would throat punch him immediately. <laughs> I'm that's so a, sick that's of a it. fair reaction. Yeah. All right. Um, so we will give you the the rundown of what we're doing we're thinking about calling this the uh, day late and dollar short podcast um my schedule got involved too with the uh, long layaway two week layaway that we've had so apologies for that but uh, sometimes that's going to happen especially in uh, february on a college football podcast uh, so we're going to probably hit more recent housekeeping items that we're going to walk through and talk through uh then we'll kind of get into some of the things that were happening amazingly like they couldn't have just happened in march or something like that so we could have talked to them live no they had to happen right at the end of february so we will get you caught up on our thoughts on some of the other happenings around big 10 works for me all right so get let's get going on housekeeping here just one little coaching note. Maryland hires Tampa Bay Bucks defensive backs coach John Hoke as their defensive coordinator slash safeties coach. Good hire by Loxley there. Some player personnel movement. Penn State running back Mark Allen, Penn State wide receiver Cam Sullivan-Brown both enter the portal. That, by my count, makes 13 Penn State players who have entered the portal. Minnesota offensive lineman Jack York does the same. He's the second offensive lineman from the 2018 class to enter the portal, or at least to leave the program. But guess what? They still have five offensive linemen from that class. And the continual uh, Minnesota uh, uh, machine that just keeps spitting out people, like it seems they have oversigned four classes in a row. But yeah, is anyone counting their scholarships? It feels like they have 120 of them. And then with the offensive tackles, they've 
they haven't lost any starters. It's just all the tackles that have left have have. It's going to hurt their depth. Is basically yeah. what we're seeing. Right. Exactly. So Wisconsin loses quarterback Alex Hornibrook entering the portal. Wisconsin offensive lineman John Dietzen retires due to injury. So they're going to be hurting next year at quarterback and offensive line. So. There's their first little stopper in the uh, um, housekeeping item. for Something it. that's probably worth talking about. So you had mentioned right before we started recording that you you thought the quarterback room was going to yeah. get hurt by this. Yeah. Um, I guess the first thing I would point out is, <laughs> okay, going at through the history of Wisconsin quarterbacks, mm-hmm. right? So there's one outlier that pretty much sticks out. Russell Wilson. Okay. And – the one thing I would want to point out is that it's not like a quarterback that would go through Wisconsin that's an obviously talented quarterback mm-hmm. like Russell Wilson is. He had amazing success in that offense. He oh, looked yeah. incredible in Wisconsin. In fact, I think he looked better at Wisconsin than he did at NC State. Well, yeah, he definitely did. Yeah, and and the reason he did is because, well, obviously. Well, they had that running game. Okay, I was going to say, obviously, number one, there, he looked good because he's a very talented quarterback. Yes. But then, yeah, all the things that you always talk about with Wisconsin, amazing running game, amazing running back, um, good enough tight ends and receivers. Yeah. It the, the general thought process is anybody could come in and play quarterback here and probably be pretty good because if you're just a game manager, you'll still win a lot of games. But if you are special – you will probably do special things okay. because of all the things we just I talked about. I agree that generally they don't need a special quarterback, but their their roster overall takes a big step back next year. They just don't have nearly as much experience. And I'm not talking just the quarterback. I'm talking about like, other spots I'm, too. Yeah. But but just for a second, continuing and, on with And before you get there, they're losing four of their starting offensive, offensive linemen. linemen. Yeah. yeah. Two of their offensive linemen that are going to be starting next year played a ton. That's last true. Year. So I mean, it's not, not really okay. Okay, that's a good point. Side note: Before we get to the other side note, are you are you really concerned about Wisconsin's offensive line? No, I mean not like they're going to be bad, but they're just not going to be. I don't expect them to be as dominant as as most years. No, it depends on what your definition of is. is. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, well, I'm just go saying. on your little tangent there. Right. What do you okay. got? Going back to the quarterback thing. Yeah. Um, okay. If I put on a clip really quick, mm-hmm. and it was Jim Sorgi, yep, Scott Tolzine, oh yeah, Joel Stave, Ooh. and Alex Hornibrook, could you even tell which quarterback was which? Other yeah. than the obvious things that you could tell, it was like a more grainy type of film or anything like that. Like I, the point I'm trying to say is, I think if- Sorgi was pretty efficient. Tolzine was pretty efficient. I would say Stave was pretty bad and Hornybrook was pretty bad but I would say Hornybrook was probably better than Stave I have I definitely their, can put their it. records are all about the same I would contend that you Sorgi could, you could take yeah you could take Sorgi actually so did Tolzien. out of his era and put him in Hornybrook's era and Stave into Sorgi's you know what I mean mix them all around I swear to god their career record would be almost exactly what it was that may be after. true okay right okay. So, with that being said, uh-huh. are we really that concerned about Wisconsin's quarterback room after Hornibrook took off? Okay, you're looking at probably taking a step back on the offensive line, and you got either a true freshman, most likely, or Jack Cohn playing quarterback next year. Jack Cohn was even worse than Hornibrook. So, the quarterback I, I like Mertz, but he's a true freshman. Come on. 
So those are the two names everybody knows. Okay. Yes. Right now, my guess at the depth chart, right, literally currently right now, because they're probably just getting going on spring ball. Number one, Jack Cohn. Yep. Number two A or two B, however it would be, would be Chase Wolf. Mm, good name. Danny Vandenboom. Another good name. If these quarterbacks are half as good <laughs> as their names wind up being, it's going to be good. And then Graham Mertz. Yeah. Okay. My guess is that, and I have heard big things about Chase Wolf. He okay. was he was offered a scholarship to Ohio State. Took okay. It down went to Wisconsin. You just don't know him, right? Correct. I took I a little. I quick, don't know the name. I took a little quick deep dive today on their quarterback room. Long story short. It is my guess that they have three quarterbacks on the roster, almost for sure two. The the fan favorites are Chase Wolf and Graham Mertz. They have two quarterbacks on the roster that are more talented than the quarterback that just left. Okay. I, I, I'll buy that. Yeah. So this guy. So Wisconsin fans, falling. don't worry. I don't. Th- I, I tried to take a quick poll of it. The general consensus was it's. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, meaning general consensus among Badger fans. They are lukewarm to the news mm-hmm. of him leaving, but not all that much. Yeah, better. I doubt they're terribly <laughs> heartbroken at him leaving. But nice research there. I'm actually looking really forward to g- doing the deep dive on the, the Badgers oh, yeah. in overall the in the offseason. Okay, moving on. Virginia Tech quarterback Josh Jackson transferring to Maryland. Another great pickup by Lox. Loxley doing Loxley things. Rutgers, ah, we got to talk about this. Their offensive guard slash center, Jonah Jackson, had entered the portal a few weeks ago, transferring to Ohio State. Now, I know we talked about this two or three podcasts we did. ago, and we were talking about, of course, the transfer portal, the pluses and minuses. The argument was that it would somehow even out, or will the Blue Bloods benefit? I argued that the Blue Bloods will benefit because they always benefit. And it's this true. is... I, I, I think I might have actually said that he would go to Ohio State. I I I said we need to go back and to, I know, and I figure that Check out. Check the tapes. Yeah. Anyways, long story short, he went to a blue blood. He went to Ohio State. So, but to this point, he's an exception. Most most are portaling down. He portaled up. He portaled up because the scary thought for a Rutgers type of team is that, or or any team that's going through a coaching transition or a rebuild or whatever is if you are a known star on the team and you are a sophomore or junior, obviously with enough time there to show that you're good, mm-hmm. but not so old that you're obviously graduating. Why wouldn't you transfer away and go ahead and try something different at another school that you can get more exposure? Well, you can make it that much harder for the Rutgers of the world. Yeah. I mean, so I guess what it comes down to is, most times, Blue Bloods don't have a lot of holes to fill, but when they do, they'll find someone like this. And I think the positions that you would see the holes the most are probably O and D line. There's mm. five spots yeah. or typically four spots, right. especially with the offensive line. Ohio State had a couple guys that have graduated on the offensive line. Right. Now you fill it with a guy that is has played in the trenches in the Big Ten, has his footwork down, plug him in. I mean, that's huge. Well, I tell you what, let's just have anyone transfer anytime they want. Why the hell not? That's what certain amount of people in the media apparently would. They, they just think it's open season. How, it's why, great. It's great for the, the uh, student athletes. How dare you even think about contending that these kids shouldn't be able to uh, transfer without any penalty. You're you're a shameful human if right. you feel that way. Because it's all about the kids. Nobody else should have any rights. How about transferring midseason? 
What about what about at halftime? You just change jerseys and move to the other sideline. <laughs> Seriously, we're not that far away. <laughs> okay. All right, now we're getting ridiculous. Northwestern, this is bad news. Northwestern superback Cam Green is retiring from football. He's had some concussion issues. He didn't give an exact reason, but it sounds like concussions, basically. So he's joining Jeremy Larkin, who retired earlier this season. So bad news for Northwestern. You know, they're my mortal enemy, but I hate seeing stuff like this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that ends housekeeping. All right. So next segment we'll run into is our final recap on the recruiting scene, um, as we have firmly established before. Big Kurt is the recruiting guru of our duo here, and it's not even close. Um, so I will introduce Big Kurt, and he'll take it away. Essentially, what Big Kurt's going to do is go down the 24-7 composite rankings, which yep. is the well-known, most respected recruiting rankings. He's going to start at the bottom, work his way to the top. But being the guru that he is, he's going to throw in some snippets here and there and what he thinks about the class. Maybe he would change this class, move it up, move it down type of deal. Yeah, I'll give you some tidbits, give you my opinions of each class, uh, hopefully a couple takeaways. But I want to start with a little story here that we that we learned from Twitter a few weeks back. Have you heard of this recruit? His name is Blake Carringer. He's a six foot six, three hundred fifteen pound offensive lineman from Knoxville, Tennessee, apparently with offers from Alabama, Georgia, many others. Have you heard of this guy? I have not. Okay, well, neither had the recruiting services yet. Rivals went ahead and rated him a 5.5, which is, to their defense, the lowest three-star rating you can get. They had never heard of the guy. They never saw any tape whatsoever. But if he's getting offers from Bama and Georgia, he must at least be a three-star, right? So what I picture is all of a sudden this kid is on a web page and all of the big-name recruiting you know, well, he was on were, Twitter. That's all he was on. Okay. Um, but suddenly he comes into light, and they're all looking around. The room. Have you heard of this guy? Have you heard of this guy? So they just freaked out, made a recruiting page for him, and they're like, okay, we're just going to rank him as a low three-star. You know, Bill, Joe, you go you go out and find something about this Right, kid. then we'll figure it out, and we'll actually give him a real ranking because they wanted to be the first one to rank him. They didn't want to look like they didn't know who the kid was, right? right? Well, it gets a little better because – the 24-7 composite ranking, which we've talked about before, combines ESPN, 24-7, and Rivals, and kind of averages all those and weights them evenly. The way that that works is as soon as there's a rating from one of the other sites, it uploads to their composite. So it was the only rating for this kid, so they that was his composite rating. It was his average rating, right? So as a result, the CEO... Of 24-7, Shannon Terry decided to change that policy. They're no longer going to have a composite rating unless 24-7 has also rated the kid, okay? okay. And here's what he said on uh, – here. this was his, his – um, This is the CEO of 24-7. CEO of 24-7. These were tweets that he put out. Today, a national recruiting service rated a prospect that doesn't exist – Unfortunately, that service's public data contributes to the 24-7 composite. Why appalling, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I thought that was great. Ironically, it was the same little brother service that took shots at 24-7 on National Signing Day. <laughs> this is their CEO. In order to ensure that, that this never happens again and never impacts the composite 24-7 as a new protocol where prospects are no longer given a composite rating without also having the 24-7 rating. 
So one would guess maybe a disgruntled former 24-7 person was a part of this quote-unquote little brother, and he knew the inner workings a little bit. So he Maybe. Said, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> but It that- does. At, my first reaction when I heard about this is the same feeling I get when uh, a, a, a mid-to-high three-star uh, recruit yeah. gets an offer from Alabama, Clemson, USC, and suddenly shoots right. up to a four-star same kind of crap thought process. Well, there is silliness that goes on with this stuff. I love it, but I also realize that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of scouts doing this stuff, and some of them are good, some of them are not so good. And I guarantee you, well, I don't care, I know, the coaches know more than these scouts who who's a good player or not. <laughs> You're right? dang right. Or even more so the type of player that fits into the system. Well, that's that another running thing. that so, people really don't understand. But. So just a, a, a little big Kurt wisdom about recruiting. First of all, as you know, I love recruiting because it represents hope for your squad, but there's many ways to look at recruiting. One is the 24 composite rankings, which we're going to go over here shortly. One's average star rating. Another one is volume. Volume does matter. I mean, if you've got, twice as many guys in the class it's twice as much just probability you've yep. got you know more chances on hits how many blue chippers you got in your class but again like you said some of it is just does this guy fit our system can we get him into our system and develop him and turn him into a good player so this Which is not nobody knows nobody knows how that's going to work out right. or how you, you never rate know. that you never know but but w- despite all that it, i just am fascinated by recruiting so Let's go ahead and kick it off. Let's go. Starting at the bottom, the 14th ranked. I'm going to take a guess. Team, go for it. Rutgers. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, yes. They have 21 total commits. They have the lowest average star ranking in the Big Ten, and it's not all that close. Can I stop you real quick? Yeah. As far as the average size of a class, Mm -hmm. what would you say that number is? Average class size is about 20. Okay. Yep. So lowest average star ranking. Um, no blue chippers there, but there is some good news. All of their commits are three-star players. There's no two stars. So they're all like potential big 10 players, but really it's not a terrible class, but unfortunately they play in the big 10 and this class is going to do nothing to change. their. sounds like a really nice class for the Mac. It'd be a great class. I mean, you know, this is probably what Toledo is putting together right now. Yeah. Well, it, it, Sorry, records. I, I don't mean to pile on. But uh, nine players from Jersey, two from New York, one from Connecticut. So they're they're really doing a great job locally. This is the tier four. We're going to divide this into four tiers, and they kind of stand they're alone. They're their own. They're their they own. are. They're pretty far behind oh, the 13, oh, which brings us to my beloved, the Illinois Fighting Illini check-in at 13. Now, they have the smallest class in the Big Ten by far. 14 is a very small class. Three of them are blue chippers, which is pretty good. They have a solid average star ranking, ranking eighth in the Big Ten. This is the anomaly class of the conference. It's just so hard to, like, as an Illini fan, I'm excited because we have a lot of talent. And Illini fans are torn too. Yeah, because again, size matters. You only 14 players. Now they still have four to five open slots that they plan on using for grad transfers exclusively. Because, I mean, let's face it, Lovey has to make a bowl game this year. Um, let's see. What else do I have to say about this class? Here's something that'll just make your head spin if you don't like recruiting. Seth Coleman is a weak side defensive end. He's from Florida. 
This kid on Rivals is a two-star. On 24-7, he's a four-star player. Really? Yeah. And to be honest with you, I don't see it. This kid's 6'4". He's 205 pounds right now as a defensive end. He's got a great burst, but I just, if he's going to contribute, it's going to be two, three years down the road. So five players from Illinois, but they did their best work in Missouri. And the thing that they did really well is they added speed in this class. They have a lot of fast players here. Okay. Now, okay, before we move on, like you could make a case for Illinois being ranked higher because their average star ranking is really good. Really good, right. But And that's what I thought you were going to point out is they are, to me, the microcosm of recruiting Illinois' uh, yeah. class because the average star ranking is high. Very good, yeah. But their size of their class is extremely low. That in winds up meaning more to a certain degree in the recruiting rankings, yeah. the, the, the number, the, how small your class is. And it's big. legitimate because, okay, they have three blue chippers. They're all four-star guys. What if two of them don't pan out? Suddenly this is a pretty bad class, like What right? would be interesting is if the same star ranking stayed consistent and they added eight more players to get it to 22. Oh, they'd, they'd probably be, be in the middle of the pack. They might be top half, actually. Okay. All right, moving up to Northwestern, they check in at 12 in the composite rankings. They have 19 total commits. All of them are three stars. Now, this is a small class, kind of 19, a little bit small, but that's typical for them. They don't have a lot of attrition. Solid class, not spectacular. The thing I like here, their top two players are wide receivers, which I feel is an area of weakness, so I think they filled a need. Name to, to remember, Mike Jancy, outside linebacker from Batavia, Illinois, Perfect NU stereotype. If any, if you know anything about the area of Batavia, I mean that's that's where you go to school. You go to Northwestern if you're from the Northern Burbs. Five players from Texas. Great job there. All right, moving up to number eleven in the composite, Maryland. They have jumped two spots since the early signing. The Loxley period. effect. The Loxley effect. Yes, he closed well. So they flipped Nick Cross. This is a four-star safety. He was previously committed to FSU. Who had a disastrous year recruiting by their standards anyway. He flipped him just before signing day. Now, he went to DeMatha High School, so if you know that name, it's a football factory in the D.C. area. Shortly before this, he had hired their head their head football coach from DeMatha Funny on his staff. So, yeah, the, great. But great. that was a great hire. I said at the time, great hire, and, and it has already paid off. So small class, this one is really top-heavy. So this is one that I feel like you could dump – you could you know, knock down a step or two. Because essentially, if two or three of the top heavy recruits leave, this is a tough class. Okay, so they have like four really good recruits, really high ranked. After that, there's a big drop off. So yeah, a couple of those guys don't pan out. And so kind of like Illinois, this could easily turn into a really I'm gonna, bad class. I'm going to make a prediction. Those four top guys, come hell or high water, they're going to play next year. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Can't afford to lose them. Well, that's true. Good point. Moving up to number 10, Minnesota Golden Gophers. They dropped a couple spots from the early signing period. Their big loss was Christian Williams, the defensive tackle. He was their only four-star committed player and did not sign in the early signing period, even though he was committed. And I pointed that out on our first recruiting cast. I tried to figure out why I couldn't. Turns out he was just looking for a better offer. He found it. He's going to Oregon. So what they have in this class is a lot of high three-star guys. 
Okay, not a lot of low three-star guys. So they don't have any blue chippers, no five or four stars, but they're all really solid, should be contributing Big Ten type players. That's not bad. No, it's not bad. Um, Now, in terms of average star ranking, though, they're 12th in the conference. So their quality is not good, but they've got quantity here, 22 total commits. 21 of them are three-stars, so they do have a two-star guy. So an interesting comparison, um, not to use Illinois again, but right, you can if if, if we're, again we're talking about something that I just find fascinating with recruiting is mm-hmm. the combination of star rating towards the number of players that are yeah. in your so so a couple Illinois, don't Illinois pan has out. high star rating, low numbers. Minnesota yep. uh, or Illinois has uh, high star rating, low numbers. Minnesota right. has uh, low star, low rating. star, higher numbers, yep. and because of that, they're ranked higher than Illinois. Correct, and I mean it makes sense. I I'm, I agree with it. They should be ranked higher than Illinois. I mean, a couple of their guys wash out, big deal. They got 22 dudes. So what? another piece of bad luck they had, and this goes back to before the early signing period. I didn't bring it up, but they had a four-star defensive end committed who was their highest ranked commit at the time. His name was Jason Jason Bargy. He's from Moments, Illinois. Ran into some legal trouble. So on the defensive line, they had, they had not only Williams, but one of their highest ranked guys now, I think he is their highest, Rashad Cheney, defensive tackle from Georgia, and then Bargy. So they only ended up with one of those three guys. And that's what you always think about with a football team is for recruiting classes or people that are already on your team, if they get the injury bug, try to spread the injury bug out. If all the injuries yeah. happen in one group, right. it actually affects the team more. Correct. Now, one thing to note about P.J. Fleck is he goes everywhere to recruit. I mean, he gets he gets guys from Minnesota. He likes to recruit Illinois because that's where he's from. That's where he coached. But man, he goes everywhere. I mean, he outside of those two areas, the whole the whole nation is is up for grabs for PJ. He will go uh, land, air, or or sea or sea. Yeah. He prefers the sea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, the Iowa Hawkeyes checking in at number nine in the composite ranking. 22 total commits. Three of those are four-star guys. They have two really good tight ends here. Go figure. Joseph Miamin, high three-star three tight end, and Logan Lee is a four-star tight end, so they just keep churning them out. This is a typical Iowa class. Um, you know, They got five guys from the state of Iowa, five from Illinois, which is pretty much what they do every year. You know, Not too flashy, but three four-star commit so pretty solid class number eight indiana hoosiers they've moved up two spots way to go tommy allen great recruiting job here eighth in the big 10 for indiana i mean that's i'm sure never happened in the ratings era going back to 2002 he got six guys out of florida wow four-star samson james we've talked about him before this is the ohio state flip was Mm -hmm. committed to ohio Mm -hmm. state now going with with Indiana, Bo Robbins, another four-star guy, weak defensive end from Carmel, Indiana. So remember those two names. Next up, Michigan State Spartans checking in at number seven. We are in the top half. Correct. Nineteen total commits. Two of them are four stars. But man, you go down the line, and their three stars are all really good. I mean, they're all upper echelon three-star guys this is a solid class a typical sparty class this is what i picture this is just what they do one interesting they they have a machine at (laughs) wide receiver running back d-line it d-back it's it looks the same every year pretty much and this i mean this is how they've been recruiting 
so I don't expect them to go anywhere. One interesting note here. They got teammates, Devontae Dobbs, he's a guard, and Julian Barnett, he's a cornerback. They're both high four-star guys. So they're, they're two four-stars are like on the edge of five-star, and they're both from the same high school in Belleville, Michigan. Thought that was, that was kind of cool. Moving on to the Wisconsin Badgers. Checking in at number six in the 24-7 composite rankings in the Big Ten Conference with 19 total commits. They have three blue chippers here, one five-star, two four-stars. We've mentioned the one four-star quarterback, Graham Mertz. The five-star is offensive tackle, Logan Brown. So the way I look at this Wisconsin class is basically, so they're starting to recruit at a higher level, but basically take their old recruiting classes and add a five-star and two four-stars. Because if you know anything about their recruiting history, every single year, same thing. 23, or yeah, 23 star guys, uh, 21 three star guys, 19 three star guys, and never a four star, never a five star. Now they're starting to add those blue chippers. So, two, two things I would point out is if I'm a Wisconsin fan, that's exactly what I'd want. Yep. Basically, keep the, the class that we always yep. have, but add, you know, two or three special guys like that. The other thing that I would say is we basically have just said that Iowa, Michigan State, and Wisconsin have essentially the same recruiting class every year. Mm-hmm. Iowa, Michigan State, and Wisconsin basically have the same football teams every year, too. Correct. I'm, yes. All right. I'm uh, such a sleuth. <laughs> so um, w- one other thing to note is Wisconsin is just recruiting nationally now. They're getting guys from everywhere, kind of like P.J. Fleck is. So moving up to the Purdue Boilermakers, checking at number five. Yikes. 20. What, 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 that is the first yo. As far as a team on where they're at, where you would typically expect them to be at. Okay, but let me see if I can change your mind a little bit. Most of that's on volume. Twenty six. I shouldn't say that. Twenty six guys. They've got four blue chippers. Um, but at tw- at the Big Kurt decreed average class of twenty, twenty six is big. Yeah, it's huge. So I'm saying a lot of that ranking's coming from. Volume. They do have some good players, but let me throw something by you here. What do you think of this? Four of their better recruits are all wide receivers. There's only one football. So I think that kind of knocks them down a little bit. Interesting. I mean, number one, they've already got the arguably best wide receiver coming back from last year, at least statistically in awards. Yeah. He's getting the ball out of the slot, but there's only so many – Balls that can go around, just like right. you said. And at some point, wide receiver, especially is the type of position, if they aren't getting the ball, Correct. they're not getting the playing field. Whoop. Well, and if if those are your high-rated guys, that means your offensive linemen, your running backs, your quarterbacks are probably lower-rated guys, right? Okay. Someone's got a block for them. So th- they do have a pretty solid average star ranking. I mean, it's actually pretty good. Seventh overall in the conference. But if it was me, I would knock this class down at least one rung. Um. <clears throat> One guy I do like here, Marvin Grant, six foot two, two hundred pound safety, out of Dr. Martin Luther the King High School, Detroit, Michigan. Moving up, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop there. So that is my tier three. That ends yeah. my tier three. So yeah. basically, you know, honestly, from let's throw Illinois out because I don't even know what to think about that. Yeah. It's such a weird class. All the class, all the classes you just said are six and one, half dozen in the other. Basically. Pretty much. I mean, there's. I'm not going to say a razor-thin margin, but it's not a huge difference between these classes here. It's a few, you know, it's a couple of four-stars here and there, and that's about it. So 
And I think that's a good thing for the conference. I mean, if everyone's recruiting at a similar level, that means the games one are going to be competitive. You out to me a couple months ago, I think it was right before the early signing period, you said, what you see these classes, what do you think? And I, I don't think I knew the, the answer. Okay. You're like, the Big Ten's recruiting better right now. Well, the Big Ten is recruiting better, and I think a lot of that is just a function of the Big Ten has the best coaches, let's face it. And a lot of money. Well, and a lot of money, right. So, all right, moving up to Nebraska. So this would be my tier two. Um, basically from North, so I didn't finish that thought, from Northwestern at 12 all the way up to Purdue at 5. They're pretty interchangeable. Again, throughout Illinois, I don't know what the hell to think of them. Moving up to Nebraska, these guys are all alone in Tier 2. This is, you know, a, a significant uptick from those other classes, but not quite as good as the next three. Excellent class here, 27 total commits. So some of this is definitely due to volume, but they have six four-star players in this class here. Um, they have five in-staters. Would you have guessed that? Five guys from Nebraska? That well, surprised me. It it would only surprise me in that, I mean, Omaha's a big city. Yeah. Um, there's there's talent in the city, and I would say the one of the biggest – well, there's a lot of big complaints on Riley, but one of the bigger uh, complaints was that he let Nebraska players leave the state of Nebraska. Okay. Scott Frost was going to make a big push hmm. to make sure if there was even a borderline three-star recruit, he was going to, to to Lincoln to play. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one, a good one that he got. Nick Henrik, inside linebacker, six foot four out of Omaha. Do you know there's another McCaffrey? Luke McCaffrey, McCaffrey athlete, uh, Frost landed him as well. So the the Ed McCaffrey, Christian Dillon legacy moves on. I, I, are there maybe there's more? I don't even know. All right, moving up to our top tier, checking in at number three is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, so go Nebraska ahead. is their own tier. No, I'm putting Nebraska their own tier too. Interesting. The, I mean they they're a step down from the top three and they're a step up from that next tier. Okay. So I, they're just kind of all alone, kind of like Rutgers. <laughs> except, except different, <laughs> except different. Sorry, Rutgers. All right. So the house state Buckeyes, small class here, only 17 commits, but three, five star guys, nine, four star guys, and only five, three star. So it's not like they took a step back. They're only ranked third because it's a small class. They have, the highest average star ranking, and it's really not that close. I'll be honest with you; it, they have it's the best by a good stretch. The, so I, I, I think you're probably going to continue on. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this continues on with what we've talked about before: the difference between the size of your class and the average star ranking. Yeah, um, a lot has been made of Ohio State's class and saying, "Oh, Urban's gone." Is is Ohio State already showing a slip? Okay, so those are every single time there's a coaching change that yeah. happens, that recruiting class takes a hit. That is just it's 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 like one plus one plus two. It does in the recruiting. With Hot. that being said, what what they pulled off for the, for the average star ranking of this class is incredible. I would say normally it does take a hit when you have a coaching change, but they this really didn't take a hit. Those people that say this class is, isn't as good and it took a hit because of they're the just coaching. looking at the rankings. Yeah, they just they're not really paying attention. They they're just seeing the the you know the the raw ranking number. Exactly, this is a great class. Um, Shocker. 
One name that I do want people to remember, Jameson Williams, wide receiver, Cardinal Ritter High School in St. Louis, Missouri. Moving up to number two, the Penn State Nittany Lions, 23 overall commits, one five-star, four, I'm sorry, 17 four-star players in this class, 17. So they have a total of 18 blue chippers out of 23. 78% of their players are blue chippers. This class is incredible. Now, I just touted the Ohio State class and how great they are and with the number one overall star ranking. I think Penn State has the best class in the Big Ten. Okay. That's that, that's your one of your bold statements. That, um, there is a guy we're following on Twitter, and I don't have it right in front of me, but this ties into an early part of the podcast when we talked about all the people that are in the uh, 13 players that are in the transfer portal for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not something that you you want to see, but right. what he keeps saying over and over again, this Penn State quote unquote insider, is the talent that is young coming in and already on the roster is essentially scaring the bejesus out of the upperclassmen that are either don't have a starting spot anchored down, or a lot of them were wide receivers. And oh, by the way, their wide receivers last year dropped the ball like it was their job to drop the ball instead of catching it. There is something that could be said about the reason there are so many people gone and leaving Penn State is because of the talent that has been brought in. Well, they have had some ridiculous recruiting classes. I don't remember where they ranked overall last year. Top 10. Yeah, it was like it might have been like fifth in the country last year. So there's probably some truth to that. I still think some of those guys are going to hurt them. They're going to be extremely young this year. Uh, One name to to uh, remember, Noah Kane, running back, four star. How long till we hear someone say Kane is able? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you heard it here first. It, well, it I'm I'm already rolling my eyes at all the sports writers <laughs> who are going to be saying that. So don't forget, Jeffrey the Greek. We have a bet here on the first four-star dual-threat quarterback to transfer out of this class. Oh, that's right. You have Taquan Robinson. So remember that. I have Michael Johnson transferring first. Okay, that's right. Wait. Yeah. Okay. So we got to. This they're both Penn State guys. They're both Penn State right. quarterback commits. Both dual threat guys too. Bottle, bottle of bourbon. Bottle of bourbon. Okay. okay. All right. You heard it. Here. We got to remember that. You have Taquan. I have Michael. But anyway, just amazing class. I'm just looking at the blue chippers. Uh, 18 blue chippers. Ohio State has 12. This is just again to me the best class in the Big Ten. But that brings us to the 24/7 composite best team in the Big Ten, the Michigan Wolverines, with 26 total commits. They have two five-star guys, 14 four-stars. total commits? 26 total commits. Big class. Yeah, big class. I'm not – so I know volume matters, but I don't I don't think I would count it as much as 24-7 does because it's really how many scholarships do you have open, right? So does it really say how good you're doing at recruiting Bingo. that year? Bingo. So I don't give as much weight to the volume as they do. But that's why Michigan is number one here. Volume does matter. Daxton Hill, safety is the next Jabril Peppers. This is the guy that was a Michigan commit, flipped to Alabama the day before signing day, flipped back and signed with Michigan on signing day. That only happens with the five-star guys. Seems like a solid bedrock to put your Yeah, exactly. So six guys from Ohio, which they historically recruit well in, only two from Michigan, and recruited very well in the South. Khaki pants did great down south this year. Yep. Well, that's it. That nice. wraps it up. So to go down the 
the list, let's start at the top. Go down Michigan number one, Penn State two, Ohio State three. That's my tier one. That's Big Kurt's tier one. Big Kurt's tier two is number four, Nebraska. Tier three starts with five, Purdue, six, Wisconsin, seven, Michigan State, eight, Indiana, nine, Iowa, 10, Minnesota, 11, Maryland, 12, Northwestern, the outlier, 13, Illinois, and then 14, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Okay. That wraps it up. All right, so thank you, Big Kurt, for the recruiting recap. Nobody does it better than you. Oh, I thanks. Couldn't and do this without you. to all the listeners, hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. Want to give me your feedback? I'd love to hear it. Because I feel like you do a great job of taking the data, but then cutting through the minutia. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's the best way I could say it. So, all right, now we are on to the uh, daylight and a dollar short mm. portion of the podcast, things that we would have loved to have talked about right when they happened especially this one right now which is the jerry kill yep and pj fleck saga that went on about which happened right before i left for literally right before Cabo left i i tried to manipulate kurt's uh schedule to to make it work but there was no way it was going to (laughs) happen so um so while i was thinking about this story just to I don't know, just to give our our listeners a little bit of a better understanding and synopsis Mm -hmm. of what is the Minnesota sports fan psyche or kind of background. I'm not going to go try to go too deep with this, but this will be interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Because it's something I've thought about a lot. I mean, I've I've lived Mm -hmm. here for for quite some time now. Sure. Um, I'm an old man now, but believe it or not, I, I used to be a young man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to the Minneapolis St. Paul as a young man. Uh, at the time, I had an am- amazing lucrative job offer of $30,000. Whoa. <laughs> and I I honestly thought that was like a lot of money at the well, time. Well, it's funny you say that. I remember living with a buddy just out of college. And I had a job that was paying me thirty six thousand, and he thought I was rich. <laughs> he was making like eighteen. Yep. yep. Um, He's like, "Well, I don't have Kurt money. Like, anytime we go out." <laughs> um, yeah, moved in to a uh, two bedroom apartment that already had two guys living in it, so it was three dudes <laughs> okay. living in a two bedroom apartment. Um, I swear to God, the in the uh, corner of the living room of that apartment was a bullet hole. Okay. I, 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 we, I, there, I don't know what else it could have been. So this was in South Minneapolis. <laughs> it, was, it was not in South Portland Minneapolis. Portland in 36th. <laughs> I lived um, there too. Anyways, so, you know, and I come to the uh, metro and wasn't the first time I'd been to a big city. I'd traveled around quite a bit and, you know, spent a lot of time in other places and bowl games, San Antonio, you know, my brother played in the sure. Rose Bowl. But it was the first time, you know, living in the big city on my own. And essentially, you bring with you assumptions. And an assumption that I brought with me was that everybody in Minnesota was a huge college football fan because oh, yeah. everybody in Iowa was a huge college football. Everything I had known sure. up to that point was, I mean, football took over your life Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. and, and Monday, for that matter. Because uh, um, come to find out, as I tried to strike up many a conversation in the first year or two I lived up here about college football that very few people really cared about college football. Well, I was not surprised at all when I moved here because growing up in Chicago, it's the same way. 
Then I moved to St. Louis, same way, and here. I've not lived in college football town. So how I ever became a rabid college football fan, I'll never know. Right. I mean, Iowa, obviously Nebraska, Wisconsin, even though they got pro teams, Ohio, Michigan, whatever. The fact of the matter is you you can't swing a dead cat in any one of those states without hitting yep. a, a very big college football yep. fan. So the point I'm trying to make is I you start I started to pay attention to what their what Minnesota fans thought about their team and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Which then brings you into the Mason years, which we talked about before the podcast. Great coach. He was. Should have never he, fired him. Probably not, but maybe they were tapped out, whatever. Okay. So then the brew crew comes, right? Mm. Tim Brewster. And hope abounds for the first time that I felt since I lived in the Minnesota area. Illini alum? Yes. And I was a collective wet sponge to the, or wet blanket, excuse me, to the Minnesota faithful as far as what they thought about Tim Brewster. Cause my overall thoughts at the time was, this doesn't. I don't remember. Where did he come from? Where was Texas. he? Texas. Was Texas. He was, okay. he was part of the Mac Brown. Okay. Uh, was a very good recruiter under Mac Brown. So would you say the general consensus during the Mason years was people were just kind of apathetic? Yes, apathetic okay. would be the perfect word. Okay. I don't. I think uh, Glenn Mason <laughs> he rubbed a couple people the wrong yeah. way. Yeah, um, I don't think he's uh, maybe the most agreeable person you can sure. possibly find on the planet. Um, egotistical, but I love him on Big Ten. I do, I do too. He is amazing. Yeah. he's he does a Mason the face segment on K Fan up here. He's okay. phenomenal. It's a must listen. Um, but anyways, yeah, back to Tim Brewster. Um, People were excited, like, "Hey, uh, new coach, new blood, things were coming in." And he, he's the Ron Zook of Minnesota coaches without the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I actually would put him more in Beckman zone, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, Zook was a goofball too. Yeah. Okay. And he really just had one good year. All right. Um, and then, but as far as if boobage, like if you're just talking straight boobs. <laughs> Yeah, I guess probably Beckman applies more. I think there's way more yeah. way more similarities to, to Brewster and Beckman. So then I would say towards the end of the uh, Brew Crew phase, mm-hmm. the feelings of, of Minnesota football, all-time uh, low, all-time low. Think so? I, I, that's what I would consider. <laughs> okay. We would love to hear from you, Minnesota fans. Yeah. That's my thoughts. Then they hired Jerry Kill. And I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget it. They said... I remember it was like Twitter or something. I don't know on the internet. And it was like, so we wanted to find somebody that is a true gopher. And we found somebody that looks like a true true gopher. I want to make a side note that I had been following Jerry kill for a long time. Like back when he was at Southern Illinois, like before Northern Illinois. So I, I've always been a kill fan. So I, you know, I liked him. I realized he was never going to take him to like the next level, but okay. Continue. Point being is, then everything flipped because then Minnesota fans, because they are essentially despondent at this point, they're like, "What? Who? Who is this hick that we just yeah. hired?" And I was on the opposite side again, not because I'm trying to sure. be antagonistic. It was my honest thoughts was, "I hate this hire." And they're like, "What do you mean?" I go, "I hate it because I'm a Hawkeye fan, yeah. and this guy is going to be a pain in 
the ass of everybody in the Big Ten West. And the thing you could never do is get a quarterback. If right. You just had a quarterback. But he turned C-level talent into B or B-minus level talent yeah. on a consistent basis. He just never could go recruit. Right. The, right. Correct. So that brings us, getting us closer to. If only he could mesh Brewster with Kill. Right. Take the good from both, put it together into a coach. That would be a magical situation. So, obviously, then we run into the uh, health situations with Jerry Kill. I mean, nothing was crazier or worse than seeing him seize and go through that stuff on the did, sidelines. Like, did, I, I remember tuning into Minnesota games and thinking, "Oh my gosh, is you know, is it going to happen again?" Did you ever read the scouting report for Jerry Kill when he was a player? No. Twitchy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right. Then Jerry Kill had to obviously step away, and the big, the big boy, Tracy Clay's, uh, yeah. Yeah. takes over. Um, I can't get deep into it, but. One of our good friends was his realtor. Yeah. Tracy Clay is, is a good guy. Okay? Seems like it. And then things went. Won nine games. Yeah. He did win nine games. And then things went awry yeah. after that. There was obviously the issues off the field with the players. I contend that Tracy Clay's was put in a very tough spot on he what he was supposed was. to do. He probably he couldn't knew, win. He probably knew he was dead man walking even before the season started. He winds. Hmm. He wins nine games. Uh, okay, I, I'm just we we quote unquote keep it real as okay, much as keep we it want real. on this podcast, right? Because we are not a member of the press, right. so we don't really have to worry about losing our press credentials or anything like that. Is Tracy Clay's the face of a college? Football no, absolutely okay. not. So. He essentially was given a chance to coach the team because he knew they knew that there was no way they were going to find a coach in such short order. Right. He took over. Please, so let's commend Tracy Clay's for the fact that he won nine games that uh, year. Did a great coaching job that year. Then I mean, it was he, the biggest upset of the bowl season too. Right, right. To get to their nine wins, but they were eight and four before that. Yeah. And uh, but then the typical situation that he was put in. Um. As far as the stuff that happened off the field, I personally believe this is something that nobody ever talks about. If he just took this hardline stance to, to kick the guys off the team, kick him to the curb or whatever, he would have completely lost the support of his team at yep, that point. Absolutely. For not standing up for his players. Hey, you so can't I do that. I feel like he felt like he was already in a difficult position with the the court of public opinion, as well as his athletic administration. So he said, I'm going to take the side of the one thing that I can take the side of, which of is his players. Ultimately, that's what he's known for. That's his ultimate undoing. I'm just saying, take it into consideration. What was the guy supposed to do in that in that play? Well, he, he probably couldn't win. And like you said, they probably weren't crazy that he was the head coach. They kind of felt like they had to hire him and – they were looking for a reason to get rid of him, right? But let's also point out that none of those players ended up being charged with anything. And one of them is suing the university. On the, the roster last year playing was right. suing the university for essentially getting discriminated against for yep. charges that didn't come to light. Correct. So 
can we give Tracy Clays a break in the end? I mean, I, I almost feel like, and oh, by the way, he goes to Washington State and is and absolutely crushing it as their defensive how, coordinator. Right. I mean, with, you know, not very good talent, let's be honest. Right. He's coaching them way above where they should Trace be. Trace Clay is a good coach. He's an excellent coach. Okay. So then, obviously, the end of the kill slash Clay's era. So in comes PJ Fleck, or as we like to refer to him affectionately, as Boat Boy. Okay. And he brings with him the row the boat. Obviously, mantra is what we're mm-hmm. talking about. Paid how much money to? 50000 50, to Western Michigan to okay. retain that. Um, could not be a more different personality. Oh my gosh! As compared to Opposite either Tracy Clay's or Jerry Kill. Correct, and okay. and we should also point out worked for Jerry Kill at Northern Illinois. Jerry claims he helped PJ get the job at Western Michigan. So there's a lot of history there. Um, I might forget to say this as I go through this. Jerry Kill has an ego. Yes, he does. PJ Fleck obviously. Has an ego. Yeah. It's uh, probably, you Jim could call Harbaugh it. has an ego. But PJs, Kirk you could Ferris probably call elite, don't you they, think? <laughs> well, we'll get into that. The point I'm trying to make is I don't want to think that, like, th- there are. If you're a head coach for a college football team, you've got an ego. There you go. Yeah. That's that's the point. Now, there are shades of gray in the ego. Sure. You know, world that I that I very much understand, but some are elite. To say that you know one person has it and the other person don't—that's correct. Some are hyper. Yeah. So, one of the things that uh, PJ Flex said at his initial conference, Mm -hmm. and he said a lot at his initial conference, (laughs) was that well, he said that you know the talent level was so low, which honestly. I can't believe. I I believe. I agree with him. It, it was. It, it, I don't know how Clay's won nine games, but I think it was going to go on the downward slide. The other thing that he said, and he did say it, is that the culture was essentially broken and they needed to rebuild it. I disagree with that. There's another person that disagrees with yeah. that, and his name is Jerry Kill. So, now, now, a step again, because I think one thing that I forgot or I almost forgot to to bring into this, is that I believe Jerry Kill actually got the support of the Twin Cities media. I think he, he okay. was endearing to them. Okay, He's, to a certain degree, quite Minnesotan, even though he has no Minnesota sure. before that. Bow Boy has not. He's not there yet. Not even close. No. Well, he took a step he, up when he won he, the axe. But, yes. And there is a war going on (laughs) that is a blast to follow in Twitter. And the war is between PJ Fleck gopher fanatics that love the football program and love PJ Fleck. Most of them, I think jumped on right about the end of November when they won the ax. That's just my personal yeah, opinion. And then caught even more fire when they won the bowl game versus George deck. Correct. Cause during the season, there was a lot of blowback back against PJ Flack and and didn't seem a whole lot of support from the media, but it's getting a little better. But give PJ Flack credit. Yeah, he earned he it. He won games. Yeah. He made a change in the coaching staff. He looked better after that. They won the axe. They win a bowl game. He has garnered a lot more support in Gopher football fans area. Yep. But the Twin Cities media still has not 
come across, come around to mm-hmm. that. That that's just an interesting part of this deal. Sure. So Jerry Kill gets interviewed by ESPN Radio just right. ten days ago. Sirius XM, ESPN. Radio, yep. To and they start talking about stuff. Okay. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read through these quotes. You okay with that? Go for okay. it. This is Jerry Kill talking about obviously PJ Flag. He coached with me, but after that, he changed a lot. I'll just be honest with you guys. People that have known him before, when he got with Greg Shiano, his personality changed a lot. And I knew his first wife, and he just changed a bunch. I'm going to start reading it in Jerry Kill slang. Yeah, go for it with the draw. Yeah. And then once he became a head coach, man, I, I helped get a job at Western Michigan. I just think sometimes the ego gets carried away. And then he went to Minnesota and treated people the way he treated my guys and telling me he had to – Going completely changed the culture, and it was a bad culture and bad people. You know, it made me sound like we didn't know what we were doing. I took it personal. You just don't treat people that have been with you and helped your career, and you don't even talk to them, you know, once you get the job. Do I still root for the Gophers? I do. Do I enjoy him running up and <laughs> running up and down the sideline? No. <laughs> do I think he's about the players? No. I think he's about himself. You can't tell me. You've watched him. You listen to his interviews. You think he's about the players? I just lost a lot of respect. Okay. Ba-boom. Ba-boom. <laughs> what did he... I did like... By the, by the way, what did he think was going to happen after that? I mean... Well, I think that's... smarter than that. He knew what was going to happen. He wanted it to happen. So I think I gave the whole background to it because it's worth noting on the background of Kill, the background of where Minnesota people are at and let's just call it how we think we know it. PJ Fleck is not well thought of amongst his brethren of coaches. Okay. The people that like PJ Fleck are Minnesota fans, people within the program. I think Minnesota fans have to understand that outside of that little realm, not many people like PJ Fleck. It's just a reality. It and is a, it is a, Something that's not even a secret that's kept secret. No. um, There's other coaches that have gone about saying things. Correct. It's pretty well known that within the coaching circle, he's not well-liked also. Correct. So when I've talked to some of my buddies that are Minnesota fans, Mm -hmm. they are good people. Okay. Minnesota people in general are good people. Um, They maybe get a little bit outside the norm when it comes to college football because Mm -hmm. we all do that. Right. We all do that. When I've asked them about this, their general thought process is we needed something different. I can understand that. Okay, right? Um, A a very good uh, supporter of the podcast and follow us on Twitter, Ryan. I'm not going to say his full name because I don't know if you want to. He said, you know, you look at certain programs and they can just be the program. But then other programs have took on the persona of the coach and that's why they're having success. One easy one to point out would be Clemson. I mean, sure. Clemson is all about Dabo, you know, right. and then it's he's a strong personality. He's got his own niche. You, you could easily say that is not for everybody as well. Minnesota did what they needed to do. P.J. Fleck is doing what he needs to do. So far, yeah. Right? To separate themselves, to make themselves look different. And let me say something. Nobody... I'll use the term out of town stupid. You can look in and say, oh, well, that's not going to work out. But nobody knows better what a program needs than the actual fans and people in that program. Yes. 
or and I think that's I think a lot of people miss that. Yes. The national media misses it, but even fans miss it. So I don't know if we're bringing both sides of this in because I'm trying not to completely poop on Boat Boy with this. Right. Because I don't think, quite honestly, he deserves that much. I mean, I will say that everything I've also heard about P.J. Fleck is it's not an act. This is who mm-hmm. he is. Jerry Kill should not have, quote unquote, gone there by talking about I knew him with his first wife. That's... He bringing stepped, personal he, life stuff in, you, you just can't do that. He stepped over the line several times in the interview. Okay. I think. Okay. And, and I know Gopher fans are offended, and Gopher fans, you know, they, they they get pissed off when people make fun of PJ. I mean, I'll go ahead and admit, I think the whole boat stuff is childish and stupid. But when I see I, him running up and down, I mean. I think that's childish and yep. stupid, too. And I don't think it's very, like, stoic and professional like a. I feel like a, a head coach should be. But they've but, tried stoic and professional. And it hasn't worked out. And as I said, Minnesota fans probably know better what they need. But one thing I'll say, Gopher fans should kind of be happy that people don't like P.J. Fleck. If if they you know, if they did, weren't threatened by him, they wouldn't care. What's the old adage? Any press is good press, right? Well, that's true. But and I that's mean, where we're at. The, the reason people make a big stink about P.J. Fleck is because they're threatened that he might make the Gophers really good. I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. I yeah. think there is. Yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't really get to this. We probably could have said this like I don't know two minutes ago or so when we've gone through this. But there was a situation at Hopkins High School where it yep. was right after PJ took the job. Heard about this and went through his you know press conference saying that how they needed to change the culture. Obviously, Kill was upset right from the get-go mm. when he heard that press conference. Yeah. They were essentially recruiting the same player right. at the time. So, side note, and I think I was getting this before, but Jerry Kill said he was retiring from all of college football. He was done. Then, all of a sudden, he took an AD job at... The OC job at uh, Rutgers. Rutgers. OC yep. job at Rutgers. So, that was... That was ego slash bullshit, was it not? Sure, it, it was. And you know what? PJ's saying we got to change the culture. That's just what you say when you're a coach. That's what you you have to say that at the opening presser, don't you? Okay. Is it? Isn't it kind of obligatory? Okay, I guess. So it's probably just something he said. He probably didn't even really That's mean it. That's a good it. point. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, anyways, long story short, they almost got into a dust up at, right. at the high school, which, I mean, that's just like, Minnesota sports lore now. I just find it interesting. Right. I don't know where to put the bow on it at this point, but I guess that's that's it. My my. Can you take us? Do you want to take a side in this? You always have to take a side this day and age. Right? You have to. Okay, I refuse to take a side. I think I mean, they both. I, okay. I think you have ultimately, to ultimately. Take... Ultimately, Jerry Kill should not have right. said what he said. So I'm going to take flex side. Okay. But. We both know a lot of the things that Jerry Kill said is what a lot of people are thinking. I got so a lot shouldn't of you. Shouldn't you give credit in the in the day of crappy PC-ness. PC yes. that you're not supposed to say what you feel? Shouldn't you shouldn't you give the old the old boy a little bit of credit with that? Yeah, you should, because I did enjoy hearing it and I got a, a nice chuckle out of it when I heard it. With that being said. We really, really appreciate you joining, um, picking up new listeners. It's been fun. Oh, yeah. But we want more. We're greedy. 
please forward it on. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I can be found on Twitter at Jeffrey the Greek. And I'm Big Kurt. I am on Twitter at B1GKURT. Thank you. Thank you.